0: section 43 of the fable of the bees by bernard mandeville this librivox recording is in the public domain horatio i plainly see that mankind might subsist and survive to multiply and get the mastery over all other creatures that should oppose them and as this could never have been brought about unless men had assisted one another against savage beasts it is possible that the necessity men were in of joining and uniting together was the first step toward society. Thus far I am willing to allow you have proved your main point, but to ascribe all this to providence, otherwise than that nothing is done without a divine permission, seems inconsistent with the ideas we have of a perfectly good and merciful being. It is possible that all poisonous animals may have something in them that is beneficial to men, and I will not dispute with you whether the most venomous of all the serpents which Lucan has made mention of did not contain some antidote or other fine medicine still undiscovered. But when I look upon the vast variety of ravenous and bloodthirsty creatures that are not only superior to us in strength, but likewise visibly armed by nature, as it were on purpose for our destruction, when, I say, I look upon these, I can find out no use for them, nor what they could be designed for, unless it be to punish us. But I can much less conceive that the divine wisdom should have made them the means without which men could not have been civilized. How many thousands of our species must have been devoured in the conflicts with them? Cleomenes, ten troops of wolves with fifty in each, would make a terrible havoc in a long winter among a million of our species with their hands tied behind them. But among half that number... One pestilence has been known to slaughter more than so many wolves could have eaten in the same time, notwithstanding the great resistance that was made against it, by approved of medicines and able physicians. It is owing to the principle of pride we are born with, and the high value we all, for the sake of one, have for our species, that men imagine the whole universe to be principally made for their use, and this error makes them commit a thousand extravagancies, and have pitiful and most unworthy notions of God and his works. It is not greater cruelty or more unnatural in a wolf to eat a piece of a man than it is in man to eat part of a lamb or a chicken. What or how many purposes wild beasts were made for is not for us to determine, but that they were made we know, and that some of them must have been very calamitous to every infant nation and settlement of men is almost as certain. This you was fully persuaded of, and thought, moreover, that they must have been such an obstacle to the very subsistence of our species as was insurmountable. In answer to this difficulty which you started, I showed you, from the different instincts and peculiar tendencies of animals, that in nature a manifest provision was made for our species, by which, notwithstanding the rage and power of the fiercest beasts, we should make a shift, naked and defenseless, to escape their fury, so as to be able to maintain ourselves and multiply our kind, till by our numbers and arms acquired by our own industry we could put to flight or destroy all savage beasts without exception, whatever spot of the globe we might have a mind to cultivate and settle on. The necessary blessings we receive from the sun are obvious to a child, and it is demonstrable that without it none of the living creatures that are now upon the earth could subsist. But if it were of no other use... Being eight hundred thousand times bigger than the earth at least, one thousandth part of it would do our business as well, if it was but nearer to us in proportion. From this consideration alone, I am persuaded that the sun was made to enlighten and cherish other bodies, besides this planet of ours. Fire and water were designed for innumerable purposes, and among the uses that are made of them, some are immensely different from others, But whilst we receive the benefit of these, and are only intent on ourselves, it is highly probable that there are thousands of things, and perhaps our own machines among them, that, in the vast system of the universe, are now serving some very wise ends, which we shall never know. According to that plan of this globe, I mean the scheme of government, in relation to the living creatures that inhabit the earth, the destruction of animals is as necessary as the generation of them. Horatio, I have learned that from the fable of the bees, and I believe what I have read there to be very true, that, if any one species was to be exempt from death, it would in time crush all the rest to pieces, though the first were sheep and the latter all lions. But that the supreme being should have introduced society at the expense of so many lives of our species, I cannot believe, when it might have been done much better in a milder way. Cleomenes, We are speaking of what probably was done, and not of what might have been done. There is no question, but the same power that made whales might have made us 70 feet high and given us strength in proportion. But since the plan of this globe requires, and you think it necessary yourself, that in every species some should die almost as fast as others are born, why should you take away any of the means of dying? Horatio, are there not diseases enough? physicians and apothecaries, as well as wars by sea and land, that may take off more than the redundancy of our species? Cleomenes, they may, it is true, but in fact they are not always sufficient to do this, and in populous nations we see that war, wild beasts, hanging, drowning, and an hundred casualties together, with sickness and all its attendants, are hardly a match for one invisible faculty of ours, which is the instinct men have to preserve their species. Everything is easy to the deity, but to speak after an human manner, it is evident, that in forming this earth, and everything that is in it, no less wisdom or solicitude was required, in contriving the various ways and means, to get rid of and destroy animals, than seems to have been employed in producing them, and it is as demonstrable, that our bodies were made on purpose, not to last beyond such a period, as it is, that some houses are built with a design not to stand longer than such a term of years. But it is death itself to which our aversion, by nature, is universal. As to the manner of dying, men differ in their opinions, and I never heard of one yet that was generally liked of. Horatio. But nobody chooses a cruel one. What an unspeakable and infinitely excruciating torment must it be to be torn to pieces and ate alive by a savage beast. Cleomenes, not greater, I can assure you, than are daily occasioned by the gout in the stomach and the stone in the bladder. Horatio, which way can you give me this assurance? How can you prove it? Cleomenes, from our fabric itself, the frame of human bodies, that cannot admit of any torment, infinitely excruciating. The degrees of pain as well as of pleasure in this life are limited, and exactly proportioned to everyone's strength, whatever exceeds that takes away the senses, and whoever has once fainted away with the extremity of any torture knows the full extent of what here he can suffer, if he remembers what he felt. The real mischief which wild beasts have done to our species, and the calamities they have brought upon it, are not to be compared to the cruel usage and the multiplicity of mortal injuries which men have received from one another." Set before your eyes a robust warrior, that having lost a limb in battle, is afterwards trampled upon by twenty horses. And tell me, pray, whether you think, that lying thus helpless with most of his ribs broke, and a fractured skull, in the agony of death, for several hours, he suffers less than if a lion had dispatched him? Horatio, they are both very bad. Cleomenes, In the choice of things we are more often directed by the caprice of fashions and the custom of the age than we are by solid reason, or our own understanding. There is no greater comfort in dying of a dropsy and in being eaten by worms than there is in being drowned at sea and becoming the prey of fishes. But in our narrow way of thinking, there is something that subverts and corrupts our judgment. How else could persons of known elegancy in their taste prefer rotting and stinking in a loathsome sepulchre to their being burnt in the open air, to inoffensive ashes. Horatio, I freely own that I have an aversion to everything that is shocking and unnatural. Cleomenes, what you call shocking I do not know, but nothing is more common to nature or more agreeable to her ordinary course than that creatures should live upon one another. The whole system of animated beings on the earth seems to be built upon this, and there is not one species that we know of that has not another that feeds upon it, either alive or dead, and most kind of fish are forced to live upon fish. That this in the last mentioned was not an omission or neglect is evident from the large provision nature has made for it, far exceeding anything she has done for other animals. Horatio, you mean the prodigious quantity of roe they spawn? Cleomenes, yes, and that the eggs contained in them Receive not their fecundity until after they are excluded, by which means the female may be filled with as many of them as her belly can hold, and the eggs themselves may be more closely crowded together than would be consistent with the admission of any substance from the male. Without this, one fish could not bring forth yearly such a prodigious shoal. Horatio, but might not the aura seminalis of the male be subtle enough to penetrate the whole cluster of eggs? and influence every one of them, without taking up any room, as it does in fowls and other oviparous animals. Cleomenes, the ostrich accepted in the first place. In the second, there are no other oviparous animals in which the eggs are so closely compacted together as they are in fish. But suppose the prolific power should pervade the whole mass of them. If all the eggs which some of the females are crammed with were to be impregnated whilst they are within the fish, It is impossible but the aura seminalis, the prolific spirit of the male, though it took up no room itself, would, as it does in all other creatures, dilate, and more or less distend every egg, and the least expansion of so many individuals would swell the whole row to a bulk that would require a much greater space than the cavity that now contains them. Is not here a contrivance beyond imagination fine, to provide for the continuance of a species though every individual of it should be born with an instinct to destroy it. Horatio, what you speak of is only true at sea, in a considerable part of Europe at least, for in freshwater most kinds of fish do not feed on their own species. And yet they spawn in the same manner, and are as full of roe as all the rest. Among them, the only great destroyer with us is the pike. Cleomenes, and he is a very ravenous one. We see in ponds that where pikes are suffered to be, no other fish shall ever increase in number. But in rivers and waters near any land, there are amphibious fowls, and many sorts of them, that live mostly upon fish. Of these waterfowls in many places are prodigious quantities. Besides these, there are otters, beavers, and many other creatures that live upon fish. In brooks and shallow waters, the hern and bittern will have their share. What is taken off by them... Perhaps is but little, but the young fry, and the spawn that one pair of swans are able to consume in one year, would very well serve to stock a considerable river. So they are but et, it does not matter what eats them, either their own species or another. What I would prove is, that nature produces no extraordinary numbers of any species, but she has contrived means answerable to destroy them. The variety of insects in the several parts of the world would be incredible to anyone that has not examined into this matter. And the different beauties to be observed in them is infinite. But neither the beauty nor the variety of them are more surprising than the industry of nature in the multiplicity of her contrivances to kill them. And if the care and vigilance of all other animals in destroying them were to cease at once, in two years' time the greatest part of the earth, which is ours now, would be theirs.' and in many countries insects would be the only inhabitants. Horatio, I have heard that whales live upon nothing else. That must make a fine consumption. Cleomenes, that is the general opinion, I suppose, because they never find any fish in them, and because there are vast multitudes of insects in those seas hovering on the surface of the water. This creature likewise helps to corroborate my assertion that in the numbers produced of every species the greatest regard is had to the consumption of them. This prodigious animal being too big to be swallowed, nature in it has quite altered the economy observed in all other fish. For they are vivaporous, engender like other vivaporous animals, and have never above two or three young ones at a time. For the continuance of every species among such an infinite variety of creatures as this globe yields, it was highly necessary. That the provision for their destruction should not be less ample than that which was made for the generation of them, and therefore the solicitude of nature in procuring death and the consumption of animals is visibly superior to the care she takes to seed and preserve them. Horatio, prove that, pray. Cleomenes, millions of her creatures are starved every year and doomed to perish for want of sustenance, but whenever any die, there is always plenty of mouths to devour them. But then again, she gives all she has. Nothing is so fine or elaborate as that she grudges it for food, nor is anything more extensive or impartial than her bounty. She thinks nothing too good for the meanest of her broods, and all creatures are equally welcome to everything they can find to eat. How curious is the workmanship in the structure of a common fly. How inimitable are the celerity of its wings, and the quickness of all his motion in hot weather! Should a Pythagorean, that was likewise a good master in mechanics, by the help of a microscope, pry into every minute part of this changeable creature, and duly consider the elegancy of its machinery, would he not think it great pity that thousands or millions of animated beings, so nicely wrought and admirably finished, should every day be devoured by little birds and spiders, of which we stand in so little need? Nay, do not you think yourself that things would have been managed full as well, if the quantity of flies had been less, and there had been no spiders at all? Horatio, I remember the fable of the acorn and pumpkin too well to answer you. I do not trouble my head about it. Cleomenes, Yet you found fault with the means, which I supposed Providence had made use of, to make men associate, I mean the common danger they were in from wild beasts, though you own the probability of its having been the first motive of their uniting. Horatio, I cannot believe that Providence should have no greater regard to our species than it has to flies and the spawn of fish, or that nature has ever sported with the fate of human creatures, as she does with the lives of insects, and been as wantonly lavish of the first as she seems to be of the latter. I wonder how you can reconcile this to religion, you that are such a stickler for Christianity. Cleomenes, religion has nothing to do with it, but we are so full of our own species and the excellency of it that we have no leisure seriously to consider the system of this earth, I mean the plan on which the economy of it is built, in relation to the living creatures that are in and upon it. Horatio, I do not speak as to our species, but in respect to the deity. Has religion nothing to do with it, that you make God the author of so much cruelty and malice? Cleomenes, it is impossible, you should speak otherwise, than in relation to our species, when you make use of those expressions, which can only signify to us the intentions things were done with, or the sentiments human creatures have of them and nothing can be called cruel or malicious in regard to him who did it unless his thoughts and designs were such in doing it. All actions in nature, abstractly considered, are equally indifferent, and whatever it may be to individual creatures, to die is not a greater evil to this earth or the whole universe than it is to be born. Horatio, this is making the first cause of things not an intelligent being. Cleomenes, why so? Can you not conceive an intelligent and even a most wise being that is not only exempt from, but likewise incapable of entertaining any malice or cruelty? Horatio. Such a being could not commit or order things that are malicious and cruel. Cleomenes. Neither does God. But this will carry us into a dispute about the origin of evil, and from thence we must inevitably fall on free will and predestination, which, as I have told you before, is an inexplicable mystery I will never meddle with, but I never said nor thought anything irreverent to the deity. On the contrary, the idea I have of the Supreme Being is as transcendently great as my capacity is able to form one of what is incomprehensible, and I could as soon believe that he could cease to exist as that he should be the author of any real evil." but I should be glad to hear the method after which you think society might have been much better introduced. Pray, acquaint me with that milder way you speak of. Horatio, you have thoroughly convinced me that the natural love which it is pretended we have for our species is not greater than what many other animals have for theirs. But if nature had actually given us an affection for one another as sincere and conspicuous as that which parents are seen to have for their children whilst they are helpless, men would have joined together by choice, and nothing could have hindered them from associating, whether their numbers had been great or small, and themselves either ignorant or knowing. Cleomenes, O mentes hominum caecas, O pectora caica! Horatio, you may exclaim as much as you please. I am persuaded that this would have united men in firmer bonds of friendship than any common danger from wild beasts could have tied them with, But what fault can you find with it, and what mischief could have befallen us from mutual affection? Cleomenes. It would have been inconsistent with the scheme, the plan after which, it is evident, Providence has been pleased to order and dispose of things in the universe. If such an affection had been planted in man by instinct, there never could have been any fatal quarrels among them, nor mortal hatreds. Men could never have been cruel to one another. In short there could have been no wars of any duration, and no considerable numbers of our species could ever have been killed by one another's malice. Horatio, you are making a rare state physician in prescribing war, cruelty, and malice for the welfare and maintenance of civil society. Cleomenes, pray do not misrepresent me. I have done no such thing, but if you believe the world is governed by providence at all, you must believe likewise that the deity makes use of means to bring about perform, and execute his will and pleasure. As, for example, to have war kindled, there must be first misunderstandings and quarrels between the subjects of different nations, and dissensions among the respective princes, rulers, or governors of them. It is evident that the mind of man is the general mint where the means of this sort must be coined. From whence I conclude, that if Providence had ordered matters after that mild way, which you think would have been the best, Little of human blood could have been spilt, if any at all. Horatio, where would have been the inconveniency of that? Cleomenes, you could not have had that variety of living creatures there is now. Nay, there would not have been room for man himself and his sustenance. Our species alone would have overstocked to the earth if there had been no wars, and the common course of providence had not been more interrupted than it has been. Might I not justly say, then, that this is quite contrary and destructive to the scheme on which it is plain the earth was built? This is a consideration which you will never give its due weight. I have once already put you in mind of it, that you yourself have allowed the destruction of animals to be as necessary as the generation of them. There is as much wisdom to be seen in the contrivances, how numbers of living creatures might always be taken off and destroyed." to make room for those that continually succeed them, as there is in making all the different sorts of them, every one preserve their own species. What do you think is the reason that there is but one way for us to come into the world? Horatio, because that one is sufficient. Cleomenes, then from a parody of reason we ought to think that there are several ways to go out of the world, because one would not have been sufficient. Now, If for the support and maintenance of that variety of creatures which are here that they should die, is a postulatum as necessary as it is that they should be born, and you cut off or obstruct the means of dying, and actually stop up one of the great gates through which we see multitudes go to death, do you not oppose the scheme? Nay, do you mar it less than if you hinder generation? If there had never been a war, and no other means of dying besides the ordinary ones, This globe could not have borne, or at least not maintained, the tenth part of the people that would have been in it. By war, I do not mean only such as one nation has had against another, but civil as well as foreign quarrels, general massacres, private murders, poison, sword, and all hostile force, by which men, notwithstanding their pretense of love to their species, have endeavored to take away one another's lives throughout the world, from the time that Cain slew Abel to this day. Horatio, I do not believe that a quarter of all these mischiefs are upon record. But what may be known from history would make a prodigious number of men, much greater, I dare say, than ever was on earth at one time. But what would you infer from this? They would not have been immortal. And if they had not died in war, they must soon after have been slain by diseases. When a man of three score is killed by a bullet in the field, It is odds that he would not have lived four years longer, though he had stayed at home. Cleomenes, There are scores of threescore perhaps in all armies, but men generally go to war when they are young, and when four or five thousand are lost in battle, you will find the greatest number to have been under five and thirty. Consider now that many men do not marry till after that age, who get ten or a dozen children. Horatio, If all that die by the hands of another were to get a dozen children before they die, stroke, Cleomenes, there is no occasion for that. I suppose nothing that is either extravagant or impossible, but that all such as have been willfully destroyed by means of their species should have lived and taken their chance with the rest, that everything should have befallen them that has befallen those that have not been killed that way, and the same likewise to their posterity and that all of them should have been subject to all the casualties as well as diseases, doctors, apothecaries, and other accidents that take away man's life and shorten his days, war and violence from one another only excepted. Horatio, but if the earth had been too full of inhabitants, might not providence have sent pestilences and diseases oftener? More children might have died when they were young, or more women might have proved barren. Cleomenes, I do not know whether your mild way would have been more generally pleasing, but you entertain notions of the deity that are unworthy of him. Men might certainly have been born with the instinct you speak of, but if this had been the creator's pleasure, there must have been another economy, and things on earth, from the beginning, would have been ordered in a manner quite different from what they are now. But to make a scheme first, and afterwards to mend it when it proves defective, is the business of finite wisdom. It belongs to human prudence alone to mend faults, to correct and redress what was done amiss before, and to alter the measures which experience teaches men were ill-concerted. But the knowledge of God was consummate from eternity. Infinite wisdom is not liable to errors or mistakes, therefore all his works are universally good, and everything is made exactly as he would have it. The firmness and liability of his laws and counsels are everlasting, and therefore his resolutions are as unalterable as his decrees are eternal. It is not a quarter of an hour ago that you named wars among the necessary means to carry off the redundancy of our species. How come you now to think them useless? I can demonstrate to you that nature, in the production of our species, has amply provided against the losses of our sex, occasioned by wars, by repairing them visibly where they are sustained, in as palpable a manner as she has provided for the great destruction that is made of fish by their devouring one another. Horatio, how is that prey? Cleomenes, by sending more males into the world than females. You will easily allow me that our sex bears the brunt of all the toils and hazards that are undergone by sea and land, and that by this means a far greater number of men must be destroyed than there is of women. Now, if we see, as certainly we do, that of the infants yearly born, the number of males is always considerably superior to that of the females, is it not manifest that nature has made a provision for great multitudes, which, if they were not destroyed, would be not only superfluous, but of pernicious consequence in great nations? Horatio. That superiority in the number of males born is wonderful indeed. I remember the account that has been published concerning it as it was taken from the bills of births and burials in the city and suburbs. Cleomenes, for fourscore years, in which the number of females born was constantly much inferior to that of the males, sometimes by many hundreds, and that this provision of nature, to supply the havoc that is made of men by wars and navigation, is still greater than could be imagined from that difference only, will soon appear, if we consider that women, in the first place, are liable to all diseases, within a trifle, that are incident to men, and that, in the second, they are subject to many disorders and calamities on account of their sex, which great numbers die of, and which men are wholly exempt from. Horatio, this could not well be the effect of chance, but it spoils the consequence which you drew from my affectionate scheme, in case there had been no wars, for your fear that our species would have increased beyond all bounds was entirely built upon the supposition that those who have died in war should not have wanted women if they had lived, which, from this superiority in the number of males, it is evident, they should and must have wanted. Cleomenes, what you observe is true, but my chief aim was to show you how disagreeable the alteration you required would have been every way to the rest of the scheme, by which it is manifest things are governed at present. For, if the provision had been made on the other side, and nature, in the production of our species, had continually taken care to repair the loss of women that die of calamities not incident to men, then certainly there would have been women for all the men that have been destroyed by their own species, if they had lived, and the earth without war, as I have said, would have been overstocked, or, if nature had ever been the same as she is now, that is, if more males had been born than females, and more females had died of diseases than males, the world would constantly have had a great superfluity of men, if there never had been any wars, and this disproportion between their numbers and that of the women would have caused innumerable mischiefs, that are now prevented by no other natural causes than the small value men set upon their species and their dissensions with one another. Horatio, I can see no other mischief this would produce than that the number of males which die without having ever tried matrimony would be greater than it is now, and whether that would be a real evil or not is a very disputable point. Cleomenes, Do you not think that this perpetual scarcity of women and superfluity of men would make great uneasiness in all societies, how well soever people might love one another, and that the value, the price of women, would be so enhanced by it that none but men in tolerable good circumstances would be able to purchase them? This alone would make us another world, and mankind could never have known that most necessary and now inexhaustible spring from which all nations where slaves are not allowed of, are constantly supplied with willing hands for all the drudgery of hard and dirty labor, I mean the children of the poor, the greatest and most extensive of all temporal blessings that accrue from society, on which all the comforts of life in the civilized state have their unavoidable dependence. There are many other things from which it is plain that such a real love of man for his species would have been altogether inconsistent with the present scheme. The world must have been destitute of all that industry that is owing to envy and emulation. No society could have been easy with being a flourishing people at the expense of their neighbors, or enduring to be counted a formidable nation. All men would have been levelers, government would have been unnecessary, and there could have been no great bustle in the world. Look into the men of greatest renown, and the most celebrated achievements of antiquity, and everything that has been cried up and admired in past ages by the fashionable part of mankind. If the same labors were to be performed over again, which qualification, which help of nature do you think would be the most proper means to have them executed, that instinct of real affection you required, without ambition or the love of glory, or a staunch principle of pride and selfishness, acting under pretense to, and assuming the resemblance of that affection? Consider, I beseech you, that no men governed by this instinct would require services of any of their species, which they would not be ready to perform for others, and you will easily see that its being universal would quite alter the scene of society from what it is now. Such an instinct might be very suitable to another scheme different from this, in another world, where, instead of fickleness and a restless desire after changes and novelty, there was observed an universal steadiness, continually preferred by a serene spirit of contentment among other creatures of different appetites from ours, that had frugality without avarice and generosity without pride, and whose solicitude after happiness in a future state was as active and apparent in life as our pursuits are after the enjoyments of this present. But, as to the world we live in, Examine into the various ways of earthly greatness and all the engines that are made use of to attain the felicity of carnal men, and you will find that the instinct you speak of must have destroyed the principles and prevented the very existence of that pomp and glory to which human societies have been and are still raised by worldly wisdom. Horatio. I give up my affectionate scheme. You have convinced me that there could not have been that stir and variety, nor upon the whole, that beauty in the world, which there have been, if all men had been naturally humble, good, and virtuous. I believe that wars of all sorts, as well as diseases, are natural means to hinder mankind from increasing too fast. But that wild beasts should likewise have been designed to thin our species, I cannot conceive." For they can only serve this end when men are but few, and their numbers should be increased instead of lessened. And afterwards, if they were made for that purpose, when men are strong enough, they would not answer it. Cleomenes, I never said that wild beasts was designed to thin our species. I have shown that many things were made to serve a variety of different purposes, that in the scheme of this earth many things must have been considered that man has nothing to do with and that it is ridiculous to think that the universe was made for our sake. I have said likewise, that as all our knowledge comes, a posteriori, it is imprudent to reason otherwise than from facts. That there are wild beasts, and that there are savage men, is certain. And that where there are but few of the latter, the first must always be very troublesome, and often fatal to them, is as certain. And when I reflect on the passions all men are born with, and their incapacity whilst they are untaught, I can find no cause or motive which is so likely to unite them together and make them espouse the same interest as that common danger they must always be in from wild beasts in uncultivated countries whilst they live in small families that all shift for themselves, without government or dependence upon one another." This first step to society, I believe to be an effect which that same cause, the common danger so often mentioned, will never fail to produce upon our species in such circumstances. What other, and how many purposes wild beasts might have been designed for besides, I do not pretend to determine, as I have told you before. Horatio, but whatever other purposes wild beasts were designed for, it still follows from your opinion that the uniting of savages in common defense must have been one, which to me seems clashing with our idea of the divine goodness. Cleomenes, so will everything seem to do, which we call natural evil, if you ascribe human passions to the deity and measure infinite wisdom by the standard of our most shallow capacity. You have been at this twice already. I thought I had answered it. I would not make God the author of evil any more than yourself, But I am likewise persuaded that nothing could come by chance in respect to the supreme being. And therefore, unless you imagine the world not to be governed by providence, you must believe that wars and all the calamities we can suffer from man or beast, as well as plagues and all other diseases, are under a wise direction that is unfathomable. As there can be no effect without a cause, so nothing can be said to happen by chance, but in respect to him who is ignorant of the cause of it. I can make this evident to you in an obvious and familiar example. To a man who knows nothing of the tennis court, the skips and rebounds of the ball seem to be all fortuitous, as he is not able to guess at the several different directions it will receive before it comes to the ground. So, as soon as it has hit the last place to which it was plainly directed at first, it is chance to him where it will fall, whereas the experienced player, knowing perfectly well the journey the ball will make, goes directly to the place, if he is not there already, where it will certainly come within his reach. Nothing seems to be more the effect of chance than a cast of the dice, yet they obey the laws of gravity and motion in general as much as anything else, and from the impressions that are given them it is impossible they should fall otherwise than they do. But the various directions which they shall receive in the whole course of the throw being entirely unknown, and the rapidity with which they change their situation being such that our slow apprehension cannot trace them, what the cast will be is a mystery to human understanding, at fair play. But if the same variety of directions was given to two cubes of ten feet each, which a pair of dice receive as well from one another as the box, the caster's fingers that cover it and the table they are flung upon from the time they are taken up until they lie still, the same effect would follow and if the quantity of motion, the force that is imparted to the box and dice, was exactly known, and the motion itself was so much retarded in the performance, that what is done in three or four seconds should take up an hour's time, it would be easy to find out the reason of every throw, and men might learn with certainty to foretell which side of the cube would be uppermost. It is evident, then, that the words fortuitous and casual have no other meaning than what depends upon our want of knowledge, foresight, and penetration, the reflection on which will show us, by what an infinity of degrees all human capacity falls short of that universal intuitus, with which the supreme being beholds at once everything without exception, whether to us it be visible or invisible, past, present, or to come. Horatio, I yield... You have solved every difficulty I have been able to raise, and I must confess that your supposition concerning the first motive that would make savages associate is neither clashing with good sense nor any idea we ought to have of the divine attributes. But, on the contrary, in answering my objections, you have demonstrated the probability of your conjecture and rendered the wisdom and power of providence in the scheme of this earth, both as to the contrivance and the execution of it, more conspicuous and palpable to me than anything I ever heard or read had done before. Cleomenes, I am glad you are satisfied, though far from arrogating to myself so much merit as your civility would compliment me with. Horatio, it is very clear to me now that as it is appointed for all men to die, so it is necessary there should be means to compass this end, that from the number of those means or causes of death, It is impossible to exclude either the malice of men or the rage of wild beasts and all noxious animals, and that if they had been actually designed by nature, and contrived for that purpose, we should have no more reason to justly complain of them than we have to find fault with death itself, or that frightful train of diseases which are daily and hourly the manifest occasion of it. Cleomenes, they are all equally included in the curse, which after the fall was deservedly pronounced against the whole earth, and if they be real evils, they are to be looked upon as the consequence of sin and a condign punishment, which the transgression of our first parents has drawn and entailed upon all their posterity. I am fully persuaded that all the nations in the world, and every individual of our species, civilized or savage, had their origin from Seth, Sham, and Japhet. And as experience has taught us that the greatest empires have their periods, and the best governed states and kingdoms may come to ruin, so it is certain that the politest people being scattered and distressed may soon degenerate, and some of them, by accidents and misfortunes from knowing and well-taught ancestors, be reduced at last to savages of the first and lowest class. Horatio, if what you are fully persuaded of be true... The other is self-evident, from the savages that are still subsisting. Cleomenes, you once seemed to insinuate that all the danger men were in from wild beasts would entirely cease as soon as they were civilized, and lived in large and well-ordered societies. But by this you may see that our species will never be wholly exempt from that danger, because mankind will always be liable to be reduced to savages. For as this calamity has actually befallen vast multitudes that were the undoubted descendants of Noah. So the greatest prince upon earth, that has children, cannot be sure that the same disaster will never happen to any of his posterity. Wild beasts may be entirely extirpated in some countries that are duly cultivated, but they will multiply in others that are wholly neglected, and great numbers of them range now, and are masters in many places, where they had been rooted and kept out before. I shall always believe that every species of living creatures in and upon this globe, without exception, continues to be, as it was at first, under the care of that same providence that thought fit to produce it. You have had a great deal of patience, but I would not tire it. This first step towards society, now we have mastered it, is a good resting place, and so we will leave off for today. Horatio. With all my heart, I have made you talk a great deal, but I long to hear the rest, as soon as you are at leisure. Cleomenes, I am obliged to dine at Windsor tomorrow. If you are not otherwise engaged, I can carry you where the honor of your company will be highly esteemed. My coach shall be ready at nine. You know you are in my way. Horatio, a fine opportunity, indeed, of three or four hours' chat. Cleomenes, I shall be all alone without you. Horatio, I am your man and shall expect you. Cleomenes, adieu. End of section 43